I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation with New Wave Queenstown resident, Adam. Adam and I recorded over a couple of beers in his home, seated restfully on a vast cow hide. have been asking, I guess, locals. And um, as a New Wave local, you uh, you fit the bill. How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Well, currently, I would describe myself as a 31-year-old single male from New Zealand who has travelled pretty far and wide around the world, has spent the last six to seven years of his life in Melbourne prior to moving to Queenstown, have been in Queenstown for nine months now, bought a house, sight unseen, in the midst of COVID and the lockdowns and stuff that were happening in Melbourne, which made me feel pretty, pretty uncomfortable and I kind of foresaw a pretty grim reality and future unfolding that I didn't necessarily want to be a part of and saw it as a good uh, a good position to make a move out of it before it got to the point where I couldn't, which it seems though it has now. So that's kind of more my situation and not necessarily who I am. Mm, you're judging. <laughs> What's that, sorry? You're judging. Am I? Yeah, well, I figured for anyone that's listening, that's probably a good background to, um, you know, figure out who is behind this microphone now. Uh, who I am, shit, okay, that's a pretty vague um, broad question to answer. Uh, that's my situation, like I said, who I am, shit. Well, again, my name is Adam. Um, I love skateboarding. I love music. I love artwork. I'm simply trying to navigate my way through this life as everyone else's, I'm sure, and trying to figure out where I fit and where I belong and where I feel comfortable. And my movements that I mentioned about my circumstances slowly gravitating towards all of those things that I've just said, which is, yeah, really good. So let's rewind. Tell me about the beginning of you. The beginning of me? Mm -mm. Oh, wow. What was your family like? Where uh, were you born specifically? Oh, wow, okay. Well, I was born in Lower Hutt, New Zealand, which is just 20 minutes out of Wellington, which is the capital, capital city of New Zealand. Um, I have a Polish mother who spent her and well, her life there until conceiving my brother, which was three years prior to me, her and my dad made their way to New Zealand, my dad back to New Zealand, along with my mother. 
My upbringing, well, probably relatively standard comparatively to what was happening in middle-class New Zealand. Um, nothing of major significance either side of that. Went to a pretty normal school, grew up in a pretty normal community. I guess like the first significant memory of me becoming more who I was was discovering a skateboard around about nine years old, which is what my brother was doing prior to me discovering it, which probably um, influenced me picking it up. And yeah, I guess that's probably when I began to emerge out of what I deem my childhood, which is probably pretty normal otherwise, you know. From what I understand, the, uh, sort of a little bit, a little bit later on, uh, New Zealand has a pretty robust skating scene and um, street art scene that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Very uh, tight knit culture and community. Yeah, massively. Mm. Was it like that when you started? Ah, uh, so when I started, fuck, what, how old would it have been? It would have been early two thousands. Skating was still relatively unpopular, as in it hadn't been commercialised. Nike wasn't on the scene. Um, there wasn't a massive amount of money involved in it. So if you were a skater, you weren't necessarily trying to reach the goal of being a career skater, which is what kids are faced with now. And a lot of kids uh, get into skating with the intention of becoming a professional skateboarder, whatever the fuck that means. I guess that means being paid for it and that's your job. But when I was growing up skating, skating was simply, well, for me, it was something that my brother did and I wanted to be like my brother. But what it slowly became was being part of a, a community and a culture that was really fringe and quite outside of what was common and popular as in rugby and fucking football and everything else. So by being a part of that, we kind of felt like an outcast, but we all welcomed it and wanted that. And we were all like, we were all vandals in a sense where there was no skateboarding signs everywhere. Everything had skate stoppers on it. And by skating, you were being quite rebellious. And I think I gravitated towards that anti-authoritarianism sort of Thing about it, which is what I really liked. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite reckless and that was cool. And chicks thought you were weird at school, but no one, we didn't really care about that. But now it's a whole different world. Whereas if you're a skater, you're kind of popular because skating is popular and people like skating, even yeah, though they the don't understand it. Yeah, the outcast becomes the jock. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's what's kind of happened, which sort of now in my later years, this is, we're talking shit, 20 years later, um, I'm slowly moving back from skating because of those things and I don't want to really be associated in a part of that commercialization of it, etc. Before we started recording, you had mentioned that you were drawn towards your mother over your father because she was living this experience of possibly feeling like being the black sheep, feeling like she was other, and you had this feeling within yourself that you were other, you know, and, and you're bringing up skating as being this thing where you could be in a community of people who were othered, people that were outcasts, people that were misunderstood. And I'm wondering, for you, what did it feel like 
to not fit in? What did that feel like for you? Hmm. I think, you know, I did fit in to a degree. I could fit in. I was malleable. I understood what was happening around me and I was able to be a part of the rugby team or this and that, which I was. I played rugby for years. We went to Australia and it was it was fantastic. But I think I got to a point where I didn't want to float down that main stream per se. Um, so when I started to understand that I didn't want to be a part of that sort of stuff, I kind of had to embrace being, a, I guess for lack of a better word, an outsider, you know, and mm. I know I knew with that came um, a sense of isolation and being an outcast to a degree, but I think I was willing to embrace that um, being the price to pay for not being what I thought was just following the pack in a sense. So I was quite happy to be alone and be isolated and be outside of it or gravitate towards a more minute, smaller amount of people instead of a larger amount of people that were all doing the same shit. So I was quite happy to stick with the small crew. There's something that is, um, and, and this often happens when I'm recording with someone and they're, they're speaking about their story and I think we all feel this, this need to to understand through personal experience, but some of what you're talking about reminds me a lot of my father. His entire life he has felt as though it, it's not that he is wildly misunderstood but that he he's just not quite there he's he's right on the on the tip of being a part of it all and being you know he's right there but he can't he can't quite get there and he's not sure that if he even wants to but he's it, it and it has been a source of uh you know conflict for him and and as you're speaking I'm I'm thinking about that experience and he was in his time he was a lot like you not a skater a surfer very sort of going his own way against his father's wishes and but um it's interesting to yeah it is a trade off mm. it is absolutely mm. yeah. a trade off yeah completely i think so too and i think as well you know trading that off and being outside or outcast and these sorts of things comes with the price and you might get to a point where you think shit I don't know if that price is worth it to pay because I can't you know handle being alone and isolated and sometimes it's easy to think oh, I'll just go back with what everyone else is doing I'll just mm. do what's expected of me I'll live up to other people's hopes and dreams because that will um lessen the fight that I have to fucking wage war against, et cetera. Um, so you, there is no doubt that in a conflict that people experience by going out there and going alone and maybe have um, maybe second-guessed the decision, et cetera. And I think we, especially, well, I'm at a point now where I still don't give a fuck because I'm pretty young and I can afford to not give a fuck. But when you're a little older, and especially for the generations that have come prior, to get to a point where you're 40, 50, and you're still sort of living that outside outcast life, and you might not necessarily have much to show for it in a sense of materialism, in a sense of money, that might become confronting and that might be like, ah, oh, and raise some serious questions within yourself 
Um, and I can imagine that to be pretty fucking difficult. And I've seen it within friends, you know. Um, they've taken certain things of the outside nature and the outcast culture to certain extremes, which has meant for them to not experience other things that their friends are collectively experiencing. And when they come back to meet after they've been on their wild rampant trip for Europe for five years doing fucking all sorts of shit and they come back and it's like, ah, oh. and they're, you know, their their original group of friends are saying, oh, yeah, you know, we, we'd been up to this, we've been doing this, and old mate doesn't understand any of it because he's been far apart from it, having his own experience nonetheless, but now feeling a sense of separation or distance from his family or his pack because he's been off doing his own thing. I can imagine that at a later point in life becoming, it could be quite difficult to deal with, you know. And that could trigger some serious shit when you're 50 years old and you look around and you're like, holy shit, the, the, the pack's gone, my crew's gone and I'm kind of here all alone. That's pretty hard to deal with, I'd imagine. But at the moment, as it stands, you have no fear of, of being alone. No, none at all. When we uh, spoke the other week, you had said that your, your move to Queenstown had been quite confronting initially? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, well, what I just said, which is you go and make this decision or whatever and you run rampant around the world or whatever it may be and separate yourself from the pack when you return to the pack and you realise you've become quite distant and separate from your brothers or whatever and your sisters, um, I think I've done that move deliberately um, due to other things, etc. And initially, I thought, shit, this is kind of full on because I'm deliberately moving myself away from my crew, etc. But I think that's, I was like, I'm prepared to take responsibility for my own actions and know that that's a part of it. So when I did move here initially, initially I met with met this decision with ultimate enthusiasm and everything around me was so fresh and so new and so wonderful. And I was very motivated and very happy to be here. And then I went, I guess from that and the wave went down a bit and I thought, oh, fuck, you know, I'm here. Um, and I am alone and I miss my brother and I miss my brothers and I miss my friends and all the shit we used to get up to and do. And that sort of knocked me back a bit, I guess, but that's probably just a part um, of the responsibility that I have to take for the decision that I made. But yeah, no doubt, of course, it came with some pretty confronting things to deal with. Um, yeah. But it's inevitable, I think, with with any kind of change. Oh, change completely. is painful. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. So, you had mentioned at the the beginning of the recording about some of the reasons why you had initially left Melbourne. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about how you were feeling in those last few months before you, I guess, made this decision to move somewhere that you had never been before? Right. Okay. So. When I left Melbourne, prior to leaving Melbourne, um, obviously the world is undergoing some serious significant changes in how it operates and functions. Uh, being in lockdown in Melbourne for months on end was pretty uncomfortable. Uh, 
and not even because of being like myself locked down. It was more about seeing what was happening around me and seeing the sense of division that was unfolding and what I could foresee becoming the new normality of this apparent functioning society. Uh, that made me feel really uncomfortable and I thought, fuck this, I don't really want to be a part of anything like this. I'd prefer my freedom over safety because um, I don't feel unsafe at all. But everyone seems to be very concerned about their safety and all of these things. And in the process of feeling concerned about their safety, they're sacrificing all their freedom and I wasn't really a fan of that. Uh, so that was probably the predominant trigger in wanting to make a move. And when I started fantasizing about making a move, I thought about all the other components of my life that I thought were probably ready for a change. Um, I'd been fucking using drugs for a very long time, uh, close to a decade. Um, and though those were the greatest times of my life to date, no doubt I foresaw a future had I continued doing my, um, you know, uh, conducting my bad habits, et cetera, it wasn't really sustainable mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and everything else in between. I thought, oh, fuck, it's probably time to make a change. So when I started engaging with the idea of making a change, that came in and I thought, oh, well, that's another positive that I could probably eliminate out of my life, move somewhere remote, away from these sorts of temptations, these sorts of groups and people and circles, friends that I circulate around. Um, that and also, I guess, just the monotony of playing out the same sort of day in the work world and the same sort of way in the party world every weekend and becoming quite bored of it all and wanting to engage with something new that would trigger fuck knows what, but I'll find out when I get there sort of thing. Um, so yeah, those were the predominant, you know, triggers in my change, but also thinking about future. I mean, the reality is I don't have fuck all money. I didn't have fuck all money. I started, how I came about moving here literally was Google searching the cheapest property to buy in Australia. And I went around the whole of Australia um, to these, through these shitty mining towns, through these fucking, you know, desert towns, et cetera. And I thought, oh, no, I can't live there. That's too far away from anything. Can't live there. It's too fucking hot. Can't live there. It looks like it sucks. And then I came across Tasmania and I came across Queenstown, Tasmania, and I saw these houses going for fuck all. And I thought, oh man, well, that's that's feasible. If I draw all my super and do a tax return and get all the little pennies that I have lying around, I can actually probably afford to have a deposit on a house, which in reality, I couldn't do anywhere else. As in, I couldn't do that even in New Zealand, let alone, well, I couldn't even do that, let alone in Melbourne or New Zealand, et cetera. Um, so this was a feasible reality for me uh, and never having been to Tasmania, um, let alone Queenstown, I knew enough about the place and the few people that I'd met that were from Tasmania that I think I could get along with this place and I think this place would get along with me. And so far, so good, because I think it has. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really funny. I, I personally had a very sort of similar experience. I'd never been to Tasmania before. I'd never been to Queenstown. And yeah, it looked like I'd be able to buy property here, have some kind of financial freedom or security. Or I, I You were the first person that I've met that has a quite similar story right. which is um which is pretty cool i felt very um uh i guess reckless yep. in some ways in yep. my decision um but it's nice to know that there are other people yeah, who yeah. are as as reckless yeah <laughs> absolutely as- when you departed from where you were from prior did your friends and your family and anyone else that you were close to where you were living think, oh, you're a bit mad, what are you doing? (laughs) Prior to living in Queenstown since I left home when I was 17, I have not lived anywhere for, I think the longest I lived somewhere was nine months and the shortest was two weeks. Wow. I have been moving Mm. all over Australia. Yeah. Uh, mostly up and down, you know, the southeast coast of Queensland and New South Wales, and yep. so telling, telling my my friends that uh, I was moving to Tasmania just seemed like a very predictable thing. Right. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you would have got some support, I'm sure. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I, I definitely was in the first year. Yeah. It's really hard, you know, and I in that. I, they were so far away for the first time. You know, it was a situation where previously we would just be able to drive to each other. Yeah. And it's not like that anymore and COVID makes it even harder. Wow, yeah, it makes everything fucking hard, doesn't it? But then you realise that you are building something new. Mm, absolutely. And building a fucking, uh, what I think is, a, for me, a future Mm. And here I can have this little house, this one and a half bedroom house that we're sitting in now with an enormous backyard and create a build a back deck so I can sit there and mm. drink my beer on and look out of, up, across my backyard with my future little vegetable garden, etc. <laughs> I think everyone that is probably uh, within the bracket of our age or our generation is always fantasized about moving somewhere remote and trying to make it happen and trying to live off the land per se, this sort of thing. This is a common dream, no doubt, with the way that the world's unfolding. I think it's not rare for people to want to live away from, you know, uh, the constructs of modern society in a, in a built-up metropolitan area. Which brings so many fucking ills and ails with it, you know. I think it's natural for people to gravitate away from that to a more sustainable, wholesome sort of way of living and lifestyle, no doubt. And I think that's been embedded in my psyche of wanting to do for ages. Um, and now I think this place has provided me with the foundation to be able to try and build something that's along the lines of that, you know, it's all nice and well in your imagination about it, but when it comes to reality, um, yeah, it's totally doable, but you've got to kind of um, maybe adjust your original vision and make it fit. And, yeah, no shit, you've got to work and make some money and do this and that, and it's not how it always pans out in your fantasy when it pans out on paper in front of you. But... It is doable and it is happening and I think it is feasible here in a little place like this. 
which is really cool. And I'm glad I'm kind of unfolding that dream in front of me, which is really, really special. Mm. And, you know, sorry, I'll just... What I asked you was whether your friends or your family from your prior situation were, um, you know, saying you're nuts or what are you doing or this and that because um, when I initially made the decision in my head, I started, you know, very briefly uh, or vaguely and metaphorically expressing what my thoughts were about moving to my friends and my family and they all said oh fuck that's that's stupid what are you doing why would you do that (laughs) mum said oh fuck are you kidding why would you do that you've never even been there don't be stupid and a few of my friends were like oh that's pretty mental what are you doing i don't know like i wouldn't do that wouldn't do that and all of those things all they did was point me towards like yeah i'm definitely doing this (laughs) everyone if people think something's crazy then you should probably fucking do it and I actually put the I bought the house or whatever had put the offer down and had the settlement and went through all of this funny shit of owning a house which is all new to me because I've never owned a house um getting a lawyer all of this crap having phone calls like secretly outside while living (laughs) with my brother and he's like man you're on the phone for an hour who are you talking to I'm like nobody and then I think I kind of hit it for like three months and then I think I cracked one day and I was like, oh, fuck, guess what, bro? And he's like, what? I'm like, fuck, I actually bought a house in Tasmania. I'm moving. And, yeah, once I solidified that and told them, they were all like, oh, wow, um, you're actually doing it. Then good on you. And then it slowly turned to like, oh, man, fuck, that's wild. Oh, that's awesome. Fuck, he's making change. How cool is change? Change is great. Change is fucking amazing maybe i should make some changes you know i think it inspired if you you know it inspired something in certain people that i told maybe not necessarily move to move to queenstown tasmania but maybe inspired them to make some sort of significant outrageous change in their own life because i was all enthusiasm at that point and very excited about making this change and i think that sort of reflected on people which is definitely a positive and speaking to those people and explaining to them how well I'm doing and how happy I am, I think that's even furthering that sort of want for change in their lives, which is a good thing. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes we just need to be able to see how someone else makes it work so that we can see it for ourselves. For sure. I think, you know, generally most monumental decisions I've made in my time have probably been inspired by someone else doing something uh, equally significant or being simply inspired by something. And to be inspired by something suggests that something is happening or someone, someone is doing something. So the more people that are doing things, I think is a good thing, you know. Do you think that there are aspects of of your personality or of who you are that have changed in the last nine months that you've been here? Or is there something that you feel that you have learned about yourself? I've learned a lot about myself since being here because I'm com- evidently alone in my own four walls every other night. Um, with no one but myself to reflect on. Yeah, I can make phone calls and I often do and I talk to people 
more so to catch up about surface level things that are happening in my life and not necessarily that deeply, etc. But I often sit there and reflect in front of that thing, which is the fire. And my mind becomes quiet enough that I can sort of listen to what it's saying and what it's doing. And um, I think I've been living a life of distraction for the better part of the last decade, which any time that you would be in a position where you'd be channeling your inner thoughts and reflecting, I was able to turn to something else, whether it was drugs or friends or this and that, and not actually face or answer those questions. Um, so here has allowed me a platform and a place of silence to be able to hear those sorts of things that are going on. And yeah, no doubt they've been really interesting. And I guess you can't not pay attention to them. So in paying attention to them, you slowly reflect on them and take them on board. So I've been learning a lot about that inner voice, I guess, and what it's saying and what it means. We have a mutual friend, Tim. Oh, yeah. Tim yep. Hodge. Yep, the uh, man. Recently, I had um, a pretty a, a pretty vulnerable conversation with him that I think really surprised me and came out of nowhere. I just whatever walls or boundaries I had completely came down, and all of this huge flood of emotion and fear and sadness came out. It was incredibly cathartic, and then afterwards very embarrassing <laughs> but one of the one of the things that we spoke about that I remember very vividly that has seemed to come up in our subsequent conversations has been about dreams and the kind of symbolism of imagery that comes up in our dreams and what our relationship to to dreams are and as you're talking about this um sort of moving away from uh, drug use and into this place of quieting the mind and trying to listen to yourself. I'm wondering if that's had an impact on your subconscious, unconscious life, your dream life. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. Initially when I came, um, it was that quiet that it was fucking deafening and I couldn't sleep because it was that quiet and I was almost scared to go to sleep. Um, and I guess I was coming off the arse end of using a lot of drugs, so there was probably a lot of, I don't know, hypertension and coming down and these sorts of things, so I felt like I was really sensitive when I was going to sleep at night, and I think I'm probably riddled with paranoia as it is, but my drug use didn't really help that in any way. But when I was initially, when I came here initially, I was going to bed at night like, freaked out about I thought the fucking place is haunted I thought the whole town was fucking haunted <laughs> all of these sorts of things and I had a friend come and stay from Sydney and fuck that's a long story nonetheless the significance of his story being here was that we woke up one morning and he said to me bro do you what happened last night do you remember and I'm like what are you fucking talking about he's like man you were screaming and yelling at the top of your lungs in your room. And I came in and you were fucking like shirt off cold sweats, fucking losing it. And I was like, no, man, I don't remember that at all. And he's like, yeah, you were fucking yelling at something. I couldn't see anything, but you were fucking yelling at the top of your lungs. I was like, holy shit, right? Which is not, I've heard this before from other people that I've lived with that I wake up and have these night terrors, but... 
because someone was there to witness it, it is different. Uh, and now that, well, you know, he's not here and no one's here, I don't know what the fuck happens in my sleep at all, which is strange. Sometimes it gets that full on that I'll wake myself up or whatever. But what that what that has to do with, I'm not fucking sure, not entirely sure, but maybe it's amplified in a place like this where I'm able to have a much better, more sound rest, I don't know, yeah, it's it's peculiar. After that, which was that was within the first month or two of being here. After that, uh, I had a sense of I don't know what it was, but unsettlement, I guess, or maybe it was just an adjustment process. But um, I couldn't sleep, and I slept really poorly. Um, I go to bed at fucking eleven o'clock and barely get two hours sleep, and then I'd be wide awake in my bed for the next four or five or six hours and rolling around, um, going to see the doctor, and they said, oh, yeah, you've got full-blown insomnia, along with this and along with that. Maybe you should see a psychiatrist, this and that, this and that. Here's these pills, this and that, this and that. And that was that was a pretty uncomfortable stage, but I think, again, that was a byproduct of my change as in coming off drugs, changing lifestyle massively. So in hindsight now, looking back at it, I think that was a part of the price that I was paying for my change, et cetera, because now I sleep a lot better um, and I'm much more well-rested and comfortable. That's great. Mm. That's really good to hear. Mm. You've made it through the... The grueling fucking <sighs> process of change. Yes. yes, I think that's it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I just have a couple more questions that are buzzing around. Do you feel that you have found community here? Absolutely. Fucking A. Yeah. <laughs> fucking A. Like, man, straight off the bat, I fucking feel like I found community. Um, I kind of came here with these preconceptions of what I'd heard about this place. Um, a few Tasmanian friends that I have. Oh man, oh yeah, fucking. Oh, I had a mate that went there once. We went down to the local pub and fucking he had a punch on within the first half an hour of being there. <laughs> you know, West Coast Tasmanians are fucking tough as fuck or rough as fuck. Yeah, you're getting buried in a mine. Yeah, all that sort of shit. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right, fuck. Well, you know, I'm able to keep my head down and observe from a distance quite happily. Um, but I didn't even need to because coming here, I've met my neighbours immediately who were super warm, super welcoming and open, and one of them down the road, Colleen, one of my dearest friends, she's actually from New Zealand. Yes, Colleen is spectacular. Yeah, she's wonderful. I really, really, really enjoy her company, and she often comes by, and if I'm not here, she'll drop a few lemons on my doorstep uh, or a little lemons. bag of cherry tomatoes <laughs> and I'll go down and fix a leak in her roof or trim her rhododendron and have a cup of coffee on her porch and listen to some jazz or whatever. Um, she's really welcoming in terms of community, no doubt. Um, but, man, other than, well, other than that, Everyone else that I've met, for initially for the first few months that I was here, every day it was meeting someone new and slowly connecting the web of this town together and so-and-so knows so-and-so and this is how and this is so. These sorts of things um, just continue to grow out of control and you start to realise how, you know, small this place really is and how 
Hyper-connected. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of puts something... It kind of puts something in you to think, oh, well, you know, I've got to be the best of who I am because... In a place like, for example, Melbourne or a massive city, you can go out one night and party with your punk mates and be whoever you fucking want to be there. But the next day you've got to go to work and you might have to wear a different face or whatever. So you've kind of, you can get away with being, um, you know, a, a chameleon, I guess, and mm. blending into whoever you're hanging out with or whatever. But here it's kind of like who you are is who you are because so-and-so is going to say to so-and-so or whatever. So you've sort of got to define a bit more about who you are. And I think that's a pretty big thing that I've um, had to face being here. It was like, who really are you? Because who the nice person you might be to Colleen sort of needs to re reflect the person that you are at the pub because so-and-so will say something about this and so-and-so will say something about that. And maybe that's my overactive imagination or thought process or whatever, but you kind of have to take that into consideration because you might go well out of your way to be a larrikin at the pub, but that won't reflect what you need to be for Colleen down the road or something or other. So you kind of got to think about who you are and who you've been. Yeah, I I agree. And it, in a lot of ways that can be an incredibly positive thing, you know, acting from a place of your 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 higher self, your your truer self. But also I do feel, you know, sometimes sometimes I feel afraid because I don't know what would happen if I feel that when I when I look out into the into the landscape and into the to the environment I feel myself reflected back to me I feel the flaws any experience of the land and I feel that I'm safe in my flaws but when I turn to the sometimes when I turn to the community and I know that I need to be a certain version of myself and there's no room for me to be flawed because in that way, the, the, their perception of me is, go, is going to change. Sometimes, you know, when I first came here, I, I felt released of all of this social pressure. The longer I've been here, the more I find that I want to, I want to be in the community but not of it. Mm. Yeah, I understand that, absolutely, big time. Mm. I think the same thing initially when I got here. I wanted to be, I, I left a community to be, um, a, you know, a part of, in a new place and a part of a new place, but not necessarily um, someone of significance in that place. But as it unfolds effortlessly in this community, you become a part of it. <laughs> And you are a part of it, whether you like it or not, sort of thing. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, the same thing. I was moving into the middle of nowhere. Oh, I don't have to, you know, be a part of anything or anyone. But naturally, it just happens when you are surrounded by other human beings. That's just kind of human nature, I think, is you do become a part of what you're around. And mm. that's maybe the price you pay to yeah. be a part of it, you know. 
Otherwise, you can fucking move to the bush and be in the middle of nowhere and pitch a tent, be a fuckwit and do whatever but you I'm want. But I'm not that great but, at lighting fires. Well, well, I, I, oh. I don't think Henry would like it either. He's very attached to technology. Yeah, right. Oh, yes, but everything, you know, that is something that my mother always said to me ever since I was a little girl, everything has a price. Oh, yeah, it does. Absolutely. It does. But, man, honestly, being a part of... Being a part or being in this small, isolated little place on the west coast of Tasmania, that is a pretty fucking small price to pay for being like in paradise, I mm. think. And at the end of the day, um, you can remove yourself quite easily, come home and do whatever the fuck you want and pretty much not expect a knock at the door, in my circumstance anyway. Mm. And, and all you have is your own um, inner voice coming down on you saying, oh, man, you should probably go and call that person back. Oh, you should probably go and call that person. That's your own inner voice, you know. You don't necessarily have to respond to it. You can shut down and shut the door and close the fucking letterbox and probably not get a visitor or a letter in the mail for as long as you possibly want. But maybe it's that in a voice that's saying, oh, you should do this and you should do that as, you know, what you should be listening to. Mm. I don't know. So uh, we are coming to the end mm. and I I do have to say that I'm really grateful to you for recording with me and sharing some part, some very small part of your story, mm. how you got here. I do want to quickly touch on something which is that you are a beautiful woodworker mm. I mean you've made this coffee table your dining table <laughs> all of the shelves everything in here mm. is amazing and that although your um episode will come out after the unconformity I did also want to mention that you are and you draw, you're you're an artist mm, yeah. in your own right. Yeah. And I feel that perhaps that there's a maybe a part two where we just talk about your work. Oh, well, we could definitely do that, absolutely. And how that all came to be. And there might be a part three where I just talk about being a reckless graffiti writer travelling the world, <laughs> being a vandal. There's so many. There's so many different parts to there's, piece together. There's a few, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for doing this. If If... Anyone wants to, can people find you and your nah, artwork in the nah, world? They can't. No, nah. they've got to, they've got to come. They've got to go back in time and go to the Unconformity Festival to see my small <laughs> display of my <laughs> illustrations. Other than that, fuck. If you find it, you find it, and if you do, you know you're looking at it. Yeah, it sounds like a challenge. It. Yeah. No, I don't. I'd not. Uh, hmm. I went through, I exhibited a lot of work in Melbourne and had a few exhibitions and all these sorts of things and sort of as my movement down here came, my enthusiasm for uh, displaying artwork and becoming an alleged artist sort of changed and shifted and I'm reverting back to just doing my art as the practice and the hobby that I originally founded under, and that's what's keeping me sort of happy. So I won't advertise 
for those reasons. And That's fair enough. Yeah, I think so for now anyway, and I'm happy with that for sure. Yeah. I don't want to advocate or advertise or anything. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you want to find Adam, uh, I guess come to Queenstown and, and start And yelling. ask around. Yeah, you'll find me. The yeah, place is that find small. Colleen and she'll lead you to Adam. She will, <laughs> with a little bag of cherry tomatoes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll put the jug on for you. Oh, very hospitable. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, absolutely. This is local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat, nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.